Chapter ninety four of Wild Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Goff. Wild Wales by George Borrow. Chapter ninety four. It was about eleven o'clock in the morning when I started from Tregaron. The sky was still cloudy and heavy. I took the road to Lampeter, distant about eight miles, intending, however, to go much farther, ere I stopped for the night. The road lay nearly south-west. I passed by Abercoyd, a homestead near the bottom of a dingle, down which runs a brook into the Tyvey, which flows here close by the road. Then by Abercarvan, where another brook disembogs. Abba, as perhaps the reader already knows, is a disembogment, and wherever a place commences with Abba, there to a certainty does a river flow into the sea, or a brook or rivulet into a river. I next passed through Nant Derven, and in about three quarters of an hour after leaving Tregaron, reached a place of old renown called Llan Dewi Brevi. Llan Dewi Brevi is a small village situated at the entrance of a gorge, leading up to some lofty hills which rise to the east and belong to the same mountain range as those near Tregaron. A brook flowing from the hills murmurs through it and at length finds its way into the Tyvey. An ancient church stands on a rising ground just below the hills. Multitudes of rooks inhabit its steeple and fill throughout the day the air with their cawing. The place wears a remarkable air of solitude, but presents nothing of gloom or horror, and seems just the kind of spot in which some quiet pensive man, fatigued but not soured by the turmoil of the world, might settle down, enjoy a few innocent pleasures, make his peace with God, and then compose himself to his long sleep. It is not without reason that Llandewi Brevi has been called a place of old renown. In the fifth century, one of the most remarkable ecclesiastical convocations which the world has ever seen was held in this secluded spot. It was for the purpose of refuting certain doctrines which had for some time past caused much agitation in the church, and which originated with one Morgan, a native of North Wales, who left his country at an early age and repaired to Italy, where, having adopted the appellation of Pelagius, which is a Latin translation of his own name, Morgan, which signifies by the seashore, he soon became noted as a theological writer. It is not necessary to enter into any detailed exposition of his opinions. It will, however, be as well to state that one of the points which he was chiefly anxious to inculcate was that it is possible for a man to lead a life entirely free from sin by obeying the dictates of his own reason without any assistance from the grace of God, a dogma certainly to the last degree delusive and dangerous. When the convocation met, there were a great many sermons preached by the various learned and eloquent divines, but nothing was produced which was pronounced by the general voice a satisfactory answer to the doctrines of the heresiarch. At length it was resolved to send for Dewey, a celebrated teacher of theology, at Manu, in Pembrokeshire, who, from motives of humility, had not appeared in the assembly. Messengers, therefore, were dispatched to Dewey who, after repeated entreaties, was induced to repair to the place of meeting, where, after three days' labour in a cell, he produced a treatise in writing, in which the tenets of Morgan were so triumphantly overthrown, that the congregation unanimously adopted it, and sent it into the world with a testimony of approbation as an antidote to the heresy, 
and so great was his efficacy that from that moment the doctrines of Morgan fell gradually into disrepute. Dewey shortly afterwards became primate of Wales, being appointed to the see of Minivi or Manu, which from that time was called Tidewi, or David's House, a name which it still retains amongst the Cymry, though at present called by the Saxons St. David's. About five centuries after his death, the crown of canonization having been awarded to Dewey, various churches were dedicated to him, amongst which was that now called Llan Dewi Brevi, which was built above the cell in which the good man composed his celebrated treatise. If this secluded gorge or valley is connected with a remarkable historical event, it is also associated with one of the wildest tales of mythology. Kier, according to old tradition, died one of the humped oxen of the team of Hugh Gadan, distracted at having lost its comrade, which perished from the dreadful efforts which it made, along with the others, in drawing the Avanc hen, or old crocodile, from the lake of lakes. It fled away from its master, and wandered about, till coming to the glen now called that of Llandewi Brevi, it fell down and perished, after excessive bellowing, from which noise the place probably derived its name of Brevi, or Brev in Cymric, signifies a mighty bellowing or lowing, Horns of enormous size, said to have belonged to this humped ox, or bison, were for many ages preserved in the church. Many will exclaim, Who was Hugh Gadan? Hugh Gadan, in the Gladar Half, or summer country, a certain region of the east, perhaps the Crimea, which seems to be a modification of Cumbria, taught the Cymri the arts of civilised life, to build comfortable houses, to sow grain and reap, to tame the buffalo and the bison, and turn their mighty strength to profitable account, to construct boats with wicker and the skins of animals, to drain pools and morasses, to cut down forests, cultivate the vine and encourage bees, make wine and mead, frame lutes and fifes, and play upon them, compose rhymes and verses, fuse minerals and form them into various instruments and weapons, and to move in masses against their enemies, and finally, when the summer country became overpopulated, led an immense multitude of his countrymen across many lands to Britain, a country of forests, in which bears, wolves, and bisons wandered, and of morasses and pools full of dreadful effink, or crocodiles, a country inhabited only by a few savage Gauls, but which, shortly after the arrival of Hugh and his people, became a smiling region, forests being thinned, bears and wolves hunted down, effink annihilated, bulls and bisons tamed, corn planted, and pleasant cottages erected. After his death he was worshipped as the god of agriculture and war by the Cymri and the Gauls. The Germans paid him divine honours under the name of Heus, from which name the province of Hesse, in which there was a mighty temple devoted to him, derived its appellation. The Scandinavians worshipped him under the name of Odin and Gorta, the latter word a modification of Cadan or Mighty. The wild Finns feared him as a wizard, and honoured him as a musician, under the name of Wainamoinen, and it is very probable that he was the wondrous being whom the Greeks termed Odysseus. Till a late period, the word Hugh amongst the Cymri was frequently used to express God. Gwyr Hugh, God knows, being a common saying. Many Welsh poets have called the Creator by the name of the creature, amongst others Yologoch in his Ode to the Ploughman, the mighty Hugh, who lives for ever, of mead and wine to men the giver, the emperor of land and sea, and of all things that living be, 
did hold a plough with his good hand, soon as the deluge left the land, to show to men both strong and weak, the haughty-hearted and the meek, of all the arts the heaven below, the noblest is to guide the plough. So much for Hugh Gadan, or Hugh the Mighty, whose name puts one strangely in the mind of Al-Qadar Hu, or the mighty He of the Arabians. I went to see the church. The inside was very rude and plain, a rough table covered with a faded cloth served for an altar. On the right-hand side was a venerable-looking chest. "'What is there in that box?' said I to the old sexton who attended me. "'The treasure of the church, sir,' he replied in a feeble, quaking voice. "'Dear me,' said I, "'what does the treasure consist of?' "'You shall see, sir.' said he, and drawing a large key out of his pocket, he unlocked the chest, and taking out a cup of silver, he put it into my hand, saying, "'This is the treasure of the church, sir.' I looked at the cup. It was tolerably large, and of very chaste workmanship. Graven upon it were the following words, "'Poculum Ecclesi de LXXN Dewi Brevi, 1574.' "'Do you always keep this cup in that chest?' said I. "'Yes, sir. We have kept it there since the cup was given to us by de godly Queen Elizabeth.' I said nothing, but I thought to myself, "'I wonder how long a cup like this would have been safe in a crazy chest in a country church in England.' I kissed the sacred relic of old times with reverence, and returned it to the sexton. "'What became of the horns of Hugh Gaddan's bull?' said I, after he had locked the cup again in its dilapidated coffer. "'They did dwindle away, sir, till they came to nothing.' "'Did you see any part of them?' said I. "'Oh, no, sir. I did never see any part of them, but one very old man who is buried here did tell me shortly before he died that he had seen one very old man who had seen one of them one little tip.' "'Who is the old man who said that to you?' said I. "'I will show you his monument, sir.' Then, taking me into a dusky pew, he pointed to a small, rude tablet against the church wall, and said, "'This is his monument, sir.' The tablet bore the following inscription, and below it a rude englin on death, not worth transcribing. "'Covadriaeth am Thomas Jones, de wather or dro sloin, an aploiv hun be varu gwervrol chwech fed an now dig die oid to the memory of thomas jones of trousloin across the grove in this parish who died february the sixth eighteen thirty aged ninety two after copying the inscription i presented the old man with a trifle and went my way End of chapter ninety four